So would you open God's Word this morning to John chapter 16. Uh, we're going to study verses 25 through 33. Last week we learned how the resurrection of Christ is our example. It's our example, but also our hope that God will turn even the worst sorrow into joy. So when you look at the cross and you think of the resurrection, that was the worst day in human history, as bad as a day you might have had yesterday. That was the worst day. It was the darkest day that looked like the biggest defeat in the eyes of men. It looked like Satan won. It looked like sin conquered. It looked like there was no hope. That was Friday. But Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, all of that sorrow was turned into joy when he rose from the dead and conquered the grave, and conquered Satan. That's the example. That's our hope. But that also comes really close to your heart now because that's the same God that will turn your sorrow into joy too in the worst troubles that you have. Good news, isn't it? It's really good news. Well, this morning we come to the end of the Upper Room Discourse and we learn how God will give us peace, not just turning sorrow into joy, but giving us peace, not... You know, I don't know why. We, we, we just tend to think God, God give, will give peace when troubles stop. That's, that's, that's not the way God gives peace. God gives peace even if the troubles keep going. That's the kind of peace he wants to give us, even in the midst of tribulation, because, we're going to say this over and over again because it's in the text, Christ has overcome the world. You say it with me, Christ has overcome the world. Would you stand and let's, let's uh, hear the word of God today as we read John 16, beginning in verse 25. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father, him, for the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And his disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. Amen. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, there's so many scriptures we ask, we want you to write upon our hearts. This would be a top candidate. Lord, would you write this truth on our hearts? We need this, God. We, we just sang, it's food for famished ones. Oh, God, please, we need this food. God, we, we, we feel sometimes starved in this world we're living in. Problems, answer, questions that we have in our lives that we don't have answers to. We are so thankful that you have overcome the world. And we can't wait to hear more about it in the study of your word. Would you speak to us, Lord, for your glory, for our transformation, and for the advancement of your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you know, one of the most loving things a person can do is to not merely take care of you and your needs at the present moment. I think that's that's what we really consider love to, and it is. That's a big, big, that's a big demonstration of love is what's happening at the present moment. But another great demonstration of love is to consider how you can ensure someone else's well-being when you're not with them. When you're not with them. For example, parents, do you remember the first time you're going to leave your kids with someone while you and your spouse went off to a conference or maybe a couple's getaway? I had, to, I had to grin a little bit at this and thinking about that when we, Jen and I first did that. Didn't you work feverishly in preparing them for your absence? I mean, maybe lose a little sleep over, over preparing them for your absence. Did they have enough clothes, coats, shoes, socks, undies, even maybe diapers? Did you leave the number to the pediatrician, the dentist, the school teacher, the coach, and DoorDash? I mean, did, did you leave the prescriptions? Did you leave the vitamins that they needed? Did you document what they were allergic to? Did you leave a release form until, in case they had to, to, to take them to the hospital? Is your life insurance up to date? Oh my goodness, have you decided who's supposed to raise them if the plane crashes? I mean, there's all, so many crazy things that can go through your mind. But that's just what love does, doesn't it? Love prepares the people you care for for their well-being when you won't be around. That's just what, what love does. My dad died 15 years ago at the age of 93. 93. His dad died at 98. I felt like I was going to die yesterday. I mean, I don't know how these guys lived so long. When dad was in his late 80s, he had several bouts with illness and broken bones that required long hospital stays. And it was around that time, around when he was 89 or 90, that he started to want to talk to me about, about his will. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated when he would bring that up. <laughs> Here's how ridiculous I am. He's 89 or 90, and I would say, Dad, we've got plenty of time <laughs> to talk about your will. I just didn't want to talk about him dying. I rebuffed. I can remember, as I was preparing uh, this week, I can remember 
three specific times of just rebuffing, even almost to the point of sounding like I was rebuking him, rejecting these efforts from him. And it, it really bothered me. And so I shared my troubled heart with an older brother uh, in the Lord. And I just will never forget. It was so humbling and so needed. I needed to hear what he had to say. And he said, Billy, has your dad loved you through, through your life? And I said, oh man, yeah, in so many ways, so many ways. And he said, tell me about some of the highlights, some of the things you remember. So I would we'd talk about things through high school and just I loved baseball. And dad was always, he came to my practices. He didn't just come to my games. He was always at my practices. And I just started going down kind of memory lane and he said, you know what, um, I think I can raise the bar on how he loves you. I said, well, I don't know how you're going to do that. And he said, well, you keep telling me about how he wants to talk to you about his will. Do you realize that this is one of the greatest declarations of your dad's love that he could ever give you, particularly at this point in his life? This, this, I can, I can tell you because I'm an older man, this to your dad is a pinnacle. This is him shouting from a mountaintop, I love you. And I want to prepare you. I want to try to, I want to try to do something for your well-being when I'm not around. Wow. He wanted us to experience his love and his provision and his thoughtfulness toward us even after he was gone. He still wanted us to do, he wanted to do all he could to give us a sense of peace by trying to provide at least a little help to meet our needs in his absence. To give us hope and confidence that, that you're going to make it without, without me. <laughs> I debated whether I should share this with you because I didn't know if I could get through it. Along comes the first week of January 2008, it had been a while since Dad talked to me about his will and how he wanted us to feel his love when he was gone. And, but this, this week, this week of the year, Dad began talking about all these things again, but with urgency, a, a, a greater sense of urgency that I had not known before. Not only that, he held my hand and kissed me way more than usual. <laughs> you want to know where I get the kissing from? It probably was from my dad. Uh, he fell several times that week, and we were in and out of the doctor's offices repeatedly. While we sat in the waiting room of one of those appointments, Dad just told me, I'm ready. Son, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. Now, i got to throw a little bit of dad joke here. Uh, my dad was just a comedian. At least he thought he was. <laughs> And uh, David, can I use you as an illustration? So I'm going to be my dad and you just be me. Whenever dad was going to, I could always tell he'd be talking to me. And he saw joke telling as demonstrations of affection too, you know. So you, you can go and sit down. Can, I'll just sit down with you. It's appropriate you're doing this with him. Oh, it is? Because he's very much like that too. Oh, great. Well, I'll hug and kiss you when this is all over. <laughs> um, <laughs> Whenever he was going to tell me something that, you know, so here we're talking, he's telling me he's ready to go be with the Lord, right? But then he, here he comes, he has to touch me, right? And he, it was always the forearm. It was always the forearm. And he would say, you know, so he, he lived in an assisted living center. And um, 
there was a precious lady. He had this most fun relationship uh, with a, one of the workers there. She called him Captain, and he called her Big Mama. <laughs> How he got away with what he got away with. And maybe he didn't get away with it, for all I know, but that's what he called her. And, and, and Dad was smaller, and she was bigger, so Big Mama. Big Mama. And, um, and he says, you know, son, I told Big Mama that I was ready to go be with the Lord, too. And you know what she told me? I said, what, Dad? He said, Big Mama told me, Captain, if you're going to go home to be with the Lord, I'm just going to crawl in that casket with you. And then Dad, he was, he just, that comedic pause, right? That pause. And he just looks at me and he starts grinning and smiling before he, he says, Son, if Big Mama got in the casket with me, I think I'd die twice. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, David. Oh. Mm. Oh, but that was, that was my dad, and that's happening during this first week of January. He had a very hard day after a fall and some doctor's visits, so I, I stayed with him that night, and he didn't get much sleep. He was in a lot of pain, and, and, uh, and I didn't get much sleep because of just hearing just him in pain and groaning whenever he moved. And Next day, I told him that, Dad, I've got to go out of town. Um, most of the afternoon and the evening, I would go, to, go up to Andrews. Uh, my son Micah uh, played basketball for MCA, and he had a game up in Andrews, and he's in junior high. I was a, an assistant coach, which is, is that's why they didn't win any games uh, <laughs> that year. During the game, my phone would, it was like it was on, oh, come on, help me, young people. What's, loop? It's like the ringing was just a loop. It was just, he just called and called and called. And half time I called, Dad, are you okay? He said, yes, and I don't know, man. I'm just feeling, feeling strange, son. I'm just, just feeling strange. Uh, are, you, are you coming see me with, well, Dad, it's halftime. At the end of the game, I'll call you when I start to head, head home. And I called him on the way home. And he asked if I was coming to see him. And I told him, I, you know, Dad, I didn't sleep much the night before. And, and uh, so I'm going to go home tonight and try to get a little more sleep. And I'll be up to see you in the morning. And he pressed the issue. And he asked me point blank, son, remember, this is a man who's been preparing for my sister and I on a day we wouldn't see him. He pressed me, son, would you come see me? Come stay with me again. He said, my heart is troubled and I can't explain why. I told him it was because he had a hard day. He hadn't slept well. He just needed a good night's sleep. And once again, I told him I, I wouldn't be coming in spite of his asking me to. Around five in the morning, the phone rang at our house, and it was a staff member from Helen Great House, the assisted living center, telling me that my dad died about 3 a.m. I was overcome by tears. I just kept, have you ever heard that? All you know to say is, no, no, no. 
My tears were not just because he died. My tears were because after being loved so well by my dad over a lifetime and being loved well during the last week of his life, when he sought to prepare me for his absence, my last act toward him was to reject the opportunity to be with him in his final hours. My last act toward my dad was leaving him alone. That was a hard blow to take. It still is. And thankfully, the Lord has helped me, and this text helped me, and I, I, think, I, I hope you'll see why in just a minute. At that time, it felt like one of the biggest failures of my life. Can you imagine then, think about what we've just read. Can you imagine what the disciples must have felt like when they abandoned Jesus in his final hours? Jesus loved them perfectly at all times, and that perfect love was never more on display than during the last week of his life. When again and again, he was giving them some of the most profound teachings and prophecy and promises about how he was going to care for them when he was gone. And their very last act toward him was to run away from him when the hour of his death had come. How does anyone recover from that? How does anyone recover from that kind of what, a failure? How does somebody recover from that? Is it possible for your life not to be defined by a failure like that? Especially when it's going to be written in it and for all the world to read about. Is it possible for your identity not to be rooted in what you did wrong? Is it possible for God to still use you powerfully even after, after you failed him or others greatly? <laughs> Our text calls out to us with a resounding, yes, it's possible. Okay, I'll try to reel it in. I, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm just really emotional about this. Yes, it's possible that failure not define you. Because Christ has overcome the world. Amen? That's where we're going with this. Yes, it's possible. In fact, it's possible to have the peace of God even in the greatest of tribulations, even in the greatest of failures, because he's overcome the world. This text is a powerful word of hope to those who are still haunted by times of failure. That, that, that happens with me. I, I still see failure as fatal, and I just constantly need my mind renewed in the scriptures. Whether that was a failure against God, or maybe, maybe for you, you maybe you, you've had this, this, this failure in your walk with him that you just, you hate and you regret, and it comes to mind too often, and Maybe it was against your spouse. You, you failed as a husband or you failed as a wife. And when don't we? We just, we just constantly fall short. But there's sometimes it grips us more than others. We fail as parents. Do that all the time. Sometimes there's some moments, though, that stick out. We fail our church family. You fail your employer or your employees. You fail a best friend. This is a word of hope for all those who have who have, have uh, seen themselves as failures or, or started to develop an identity of being a failure. But how about this? We live in a world that's, that seems to love to cancel other people. 
We live in a world that loves to seem to say, you're a failure. And you may not even be. I'm my brother pointing at you. I maybe try to come and hug him and kiss you too. I didn't mean that anything personally. Um, but don't we live in a world like that? That even if we haven't done anything wrong, even if, if we're just living out our convictions, the world's got to try to throw us down and say, you're wrong and you're a failure. And it's just easy to start. If enough voices are saying, yeah, we agree, you're a failure, it's just easy to start to believe that lie. And I think this is a word of hope for those of us who may have pulled back from serving the Lord and maybe serving others because you're afraid of failing again. Oh, you guys, there's a good word from the Lord for all of us. And I would guess that that really puts really the net over all of us to some degree, doesn't it? Here's the main point of the text this morning. We must believe that in the midst of our worst tribulations, and we could put failures there, Christ gives us peace and courage because he has overcome the world. Could you read it with me out loud one time? We must believe that in the midst of our worst tribulations, Christ gives us peace and courage because he has overcome the world. First point this morning is <laughs> we need peace because we have tribulations. And you see that I'm going to the end of the passage, but I think it's good to kind of say, what's the problem that the text is wanting to cure here? What's the crisis the, the scripture is wanting to, to cure? Where, how is God wanting to use this word redemptively in our hearts and in our lives? And I, so I think we have to start. Let's start here. We need peace because we have tribulations. Verse 33 says that we, reminds us we're living in the world. And that's not just saying the world as compared to Mars or Jupiter. <laughs> it's not like that. It's talking about the sin-fallen world, a Satan-influenced world, a, a world that has this mentality and this system of making us think and tempting us to believe that we can find life and love in the things of the world, that somehow our hearts can be satisfied by created things, that we don't need a creator for that. That's a world we're going to have tribulation in. And Jesus is good to warn us about that, to remind us about that. I don't know about you, but I keep wishing heaven was already here. And then I get upset because it's not. And I'm getting, it's, I have an over, what do they call that to our the, my theological buddies? Um, an over-realized eschatology, you know, that, that, that heaven is not here yet. But I really get upset sometimes that it's not. Jesus says, in the world, you have tribulation. That word is a, I, I, it's, it's funny, depending on the translation that you look at, people have used different English words to try to describe it. It's a crushing pressure. It's not just like a West Texas grass burr. That's bad. I hate those things. Um, this is a crushing pressure. It feels like being strangled. It feels like you're suffocating. It's a soul-crushing and hope-crushing kind of pressure. That's what Jesus is talking about. Good news is that in him, we have peace and courage because he overcomes the world. But that doesn't mean there's not going to be those times. 
and multiple times where there's tribulation. And Jesus has been speaking the various ways this pressure could come. It could come from satanic lies and attacks, spiritual warfare. It could come from the consequences of our own sin. Yeah, that's for sure. It could come from being persecuted for our faith. And as bad as all of those are, there is another source of tribulation that Jesus warned his disciples would come. And I think this is as severe form of tribulation as the others are. They all have different flavors of tribulation and, and the, the pain they bring and the sorrow they can bring. But when Jesus is speaking of tribulation there, the verse right next to it is telling them that in spite of their confession of faith, in, in only a few hours, they're going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd each to his own home and they would leave him to face his greatest battle alone. Isn't that a good description of how we face fear and failure? Now maybe you don't physically run off to some place, though I think a lot of us do. Fear and failure is disorienting. I, I don't know how, I was trying to think of how to describe it. You know, <laughs> goofy illustrations. Anybody ever ride a tilt-a-whirl? Is that even, I don't even know if they make those anymore. Anybody, does anyone know what I'm talking about with a tilt-a-whirl? Tilt-a-whirl, okay. <laughs> so, tilt-a-whirl is one of these, it looks pretty, and it looks like a little teacup, right? You almost don't want to get in it because you think you're going to lose your man card. I can't get in a teacup ride. But, you know, it's got a little wheel in the middle of it, and, and the, the ride spins this way, and then, Brad, oh my goodness. And then, you know, that's a place that pride comes out, right? Because let's, let's see how fast we can get this thing going. Yeah, this will be great. Let's see how, how fast we can be spinning while the ride is spinning. I think I got Will, or my, I got in with my boys, you know, and I'm trying to be so off, I guess, a little bit to them. They start vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> and when I get out, I mean, it's, it's like if, 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 if one of our cops were there, they would have arrested me for drunkenness because I could not walk a straight line. It's disorienting. Feeling like you failed and there's no cure. Being afraid, being super afraid. Isn't it disorienting? It's, it, it, you you kind of lose sense of direction. And what do we do? We just do the opposite of what we should. We tend to separate ourselves from other believers. So I want to commend the two or three of you that woke up this morning and thought, ah, I, I can't go to church. I, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I, I can't go. Praise God that you came. Because it's really easy to scatter because of fear or failure. We tend to separate ourselves from other believers. The feeling of failure comes with it, a feeling of rejection, even if nobody has rejected you. But a lot of times failure is someone rejecting you. Boy, that, that's terrible too. And, and the, then the thought comes in, I failed beyond ever being acceptable again. And in that separation and feelings of rejection... We isolate ourselves. And, boy, that's the worst. 
Because you get in your head, don't you? And, and, there's, and there is a devil that hates us. So we're already believing lies. We're already condemning ourselves. But then there's spiritual warfare that's going on that, that is just agreeing with us. As we're beating ourselves up, Satan's going, yeah, hit yourself again. It's in moments like that that failure feels fatal. Failure seems to have the last word. A, a failure like this threatens to define, to define us. A failure like this threatens to rule over us, maybe for the rest of our lives. You guys, that's hard tribulation. To fail the Lord, that's hard tribulation. And Jesus knows it in advance. And in his love, he prepares us to know how to respond to it. In fact, he puts in the midst of our problems. He promises that he will have total victory over every sin and sorrow and failure. And because of his victory, he says we can be courageous even in the midst of the trouble. So now let's look at what he calls us to believe whenever we're suffering, but uniquely when we failed. Second point is we have peace because we believe that the Father loves us. You guys, I wish I just believed that all the time. It's like Christianity 101. I don't think I've gotten out of preschool about this. But I want to, I want to grow. Up till now, Jesus has taught them many truths about himself and his mission. They, they understood much of it, but it was still unclear to them. Much of what he said was unclear. He told them that he's the bread of life, right? Here's the seven I am's of the book of John. Bread of life, light of the world, the door for the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life and the true vine. He told them he was the better manna, the better Moses, the better David, the better temple, and they got some of that, but not all of it. And they didn't have a New Testament to turn to yet, right, to be able to understand. But that's actually going to come up in this passage. Much of what Jesus said seemed to just, they just seemed to have a veil over it that kept them from understanding it completely. They understood enough to trust him and follow him and, and to experience love from him and demonstrate some degree of love to him and faith in him. Some of it was because it was just not time for them to learn the lesson. Some of it was because of their own pride and self-sufficiency. Some of it was because they wanted Jesus to be a different kind of Messiah than the one who he really was. John Calvin said something interesting about that. He said, sometimes God allows us to be stupefied. I haven't used that word for a while. I try not to use the derivative word of that, but I think it's okay to say stupefied. Calvin says, sometimes God allows us to be stupefied for a time to teach us our spiritual poverty. To help us live a life that's more dependent upon him for understanding and revelation and light and guidance. But he says the hour is coming, meaning after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell and empower them, all of this is going to result in them knowing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit much more clearly in fact, Jesus would speak so plainly to them. So remember, he's saying, day's coming. I'm going to speak so plainly to you. You know how plainly he spoke to them? 27 books worth plainly he spoke to them. 
God gave us the New Testament. That was Jesus keeping his promise to say that through my death, burial, resurrection, ascension, gift of the Spirit, I'm going to inspire you guys to be writing the Word of God. Oh, there's going to be a lot of plain things to understand. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't still studying and learning and growing. But guys, I just constantly, I'm just one of my constant prayers is, Lord, thanks for being a speaking God. Thanks for, thanks for wanting to talk to us. Thanks for wanting to speak to us more than we sometimes want to hear. We're so thankful that you're speaking to us. That's how plain the speech would be. So what a promise that was. And what would be clear is that because of his death on the cross, they would have direct access to God the Father. So you guys, the concept of praying to God as a father, there was a little bit of that in in a Hebrew mind. Um, But it was more father of creation. Remember, remember this this was a setup to where you know, back in the days where the tabernacle was and Moses would go into the tent and the Shekinah glory of God would come upon the tent and everyone would go to their own tents and just kind of be in fear and awe. But they didn't have personal encounter with God. Only Moses did. There was just this thing. There was just this thing that, yes, I'm a part of a group of people who believe in the one true God, but there's just only certain of us that are having this direct sense of relationship and access to him in a personal way. And Jesus says, that's about to change. That's about to change. In fact, it's going to change so much that this, and this would make more sense. I, I just, I, I find it hard to talk about this in a, in a way that's reverent and personal and intimate, because we don't want to minimize it, but we don't want to... Well, let me say what I'm going to say. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the scripture says, we'll cry out, Abba, Father. It's just a very intimate word. I, you know, some people will say, oh, let's call him Daddy. And listen, to hear... <laughs> To hear my sons call me daddy when they were growing up, that registers. That's not childish. That just registers, you know. I just don't want us to, there's supposed to be that sense of intimacy. Abba, Abba, Father. There's, it's, it's real. It's personal. And it's how Jesus would speak to him. That's the key. That's the key. He's going to allow us and give us this privilege through his shed blood and his resurrection to be able to speak to him as father as personally and as intimately as he does. Adriana, is Brooklyn here today? If you're not, I'll still tell the story. Adriana, how old was Brooklyn? You know the story I'm thinking about. How old was, how old? 14. See, I just gave you, you could tell me that story in three words, right? I mean, that's, that's stick around here long enough, you're going to know all my stories, and I'm sorry. Um, we were doing a Kairos prison outreach, and uh, Adriana and Brooklyn were there doing the support work, you know, for the people that would go into the prison, and, and I went up there, it was a training time, and, uh, and it was a time for me where I was very downcast, and uh, struggling to believe that God loved me, struggling to believe and thinking, I don't have anything to offer the people in this prison. I I feel like I'm in prison. 
I was in this, just despair. And there was this time where we, the, the, there would be people would sit, be seated in a circle, and then those not seated would, would kind of walk around the circle and just, just pray for whoever they felt led to pray for. And so I'm sitting there, and I don't even know I'm praying. I'm just more moaning and groaning on the inside. And this, this hand <laughs> comes on my shoulder. And then I, I hear this little voice. And it's Brooklyn. And she says, Dear God, please help Pastor Billy to know that you love him as much as you love Jesus. I'm crying like crazy. And I'm going, I don't know. This is like prison, getting ready to go into prison. I can't cry when I'm, it's prison. It's so goofy. There's so many weird things were going through my head. But you see what it does to you. There's just something that happens when, when you know that Jesus paid this price to open up access to God. To where now we would approach him as personally and freely as Jesus, the son of God, does. Do you realize the forgiveness that's required for that? Do you realize the righteousness that's required of that? Righteousness we don't have of ourselves, but righteousness that's been imputed to our account through the work of Jesus alone. And we get to approach him as Abba Father. And oh, how I want to grow in that. And I, you guys, I think this is, the more we can grow in this, we're, there's a, such a fatherlessness epidemic, an epidemic of fatherlessness. I think even in churches, I think in, even in churches that many believers aren't experiencing the depth and intimacy and joy and, and personalness of, of the Father's love. Not as a doctrine to believe, it is, but as an experience to be had. And Jesus paid a high price to give you a perfect father. That's one of the greatest gifts he's given us is a personal and free and intimate relationship with a personal father who promises never to let you go, who promises to finish what he begins in us. Oh, it's such, such good news. And he says, you're not even going to, so right up into this point, right, as they've got him physically with them. So they've come to him with their issues. And, and then Jesus prays, and they're thankful that Jesus is praying. But it's still something where Jesus has that kind of relationship with God, but we don't. Thank, thankfully, we have a relationship with Jesus, but we've got to go to Jesus to get to God. Well, that's true. There's a doctrinal progression about that. But we don't want to bring into the finished work of Christ that somehow, somehow God just tolerates us. He loves Jesus and he's going to be nice to us because he loves Jesus. No, God doesn't just tolerate you. The word for love here is not agape. It's not agape. I was thinking it'd be agape. The word is phileo. And it's an interesting thing because agape speaks of that foundational, unconditional love. Contra, I would even say contra conditional love. It's love in spite of what we deserve. It's not only, it's not only this unconditional love, it's, it's in spite of what we deserve. It's amazing. It, it's not looking for, it doesn't need anything back from us. It's, it doesn't, we don't earn that kind of love. That's agape. Phileo is affection. So, actually, I'm not, I'm not sad that I hugged and kissed you today. There's something personal about the love of the Lord. He, he put it this way. 
Have you ever felt this? Have you ever, this, we say this about people sometimes. Well, I know, or maybe you get in a fight with your spouse. I know you love me, but I wish you liked me. Jesus loves you and likes you. But it's an affection. Even that can be kind of wimpy sounding. It's a holy affection. It's a fiery passion. It's, it, and, and it will never end. He not only loves you contraconditionally and unconditionally, you don't earn this kind of love. It's because of who he is. That's why he loves this way. But he likes you. He loves you. He's affectionate for you. That's why I can have peace in the midst of my failure. That's why I can have peace in the midst of tribulation because the Father loves us. And Jesus paid a high price for it to happen. Amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That'll help you have courage for every battle. But the, the second point is we also have peace because we believe the gospel saves us. That's in verse 28. And once again, we come to one of the key words of John. Believe, believe, believe. It's in this per- verse, in this section of verses multiple times. Verse 27 says, Jesus said, Uh, They believed that he had come from God. And then he elaborates on that truth by sharing the gospel in just one sentence. And that one sentence was, I came from the Father, meaning he was heaven sent. It's It's just an amazing depiction of the gospel. He's the eternal son of God. He came into the world. Here's the second section of that sentence. Meaning the word became flesh and dwelt among us to show us God, to show us our sin, to show us our need for him as our one and only savior, to live a life of perfect obedience to God. And then he says, and now I'm leaving the world. So it's not beam me up Scotty here. Okay, so don't don't rush ahead with this. I'm now leaving the world. How? Through the bloody cross. That's how. I'm leaving the world. I'm going to die on the cross as your substitute for sin. I'm going to satisfy the full fury of God's wrath against our sins. That's what the Lord is going to do. So we could experience the full forgiveness and love of God. And then he says, and I'm going to the Father. He rose from the grave, proving the sacrifice was accepted. And he was going to ascend to the Father. He's going to sit at his right hand where even right now he's praying for us. Right now. Right now, he's praying for us. Oh, this, I'm going back to some oldies here. When, when our son, Will, he's our oldest, and he was on this platform, and Will was dressed up. He had a little bow tie. Oh, gosh. I wish we have it on video, and we lost the video. Um, he's wearing this little suit, little blue and white suit, and, and he had learned a worship song. And he said, Daddy can I sing a worship song at church? And back then, church was like 10 people. And um, what a mighty 10 people. Um, And so we got a chair, and he stood on the chair, and he had a microphone, and without blinking an eye, you remember the song, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. But then here's the part that reminded me of this text. You came from heaven to earth. Did anybody know it? To show the way from the earth to the cross. 
my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. I wonder if that text inspired that song, because it's just exactly what that text is saying. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is our assurance that, through, that though our faith will fail, Christ will hold us fast. Though the tempter will prevail, he will hold us fast. He'll not let our souls be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. So it's no wonder that we can have peace and courage in the midst of sorrow and suffering. And, and for the worst of our failures and the worst of the persecution, because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the high price he paid for sinners like you and me. And then the last is this. We have peace because we believe that Christ is victorious for us. So verse 29, it says, oh, they, the disciples, oh, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using a figure of speech. Verse 30, oh, now we know that you know all things and that you came from God. And isn't it one of the things that haven't we kind of been learning in the book of John is if the disciples say they get it, They really don't get it. I don't want to go too far with that. Verse 31, here's what I'm saying. Let's, let's kind of think about this. Jesus answers, oh, do you now believe? Do you now believe? I, I, I don't want to say that. I, I think there can be a relational way of saying that that's just like, I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to ask you a question, not because I really need you to answer it, but I want to, I want to see what your response is. I want to see what your response is. This one, I don't think this was sarcasm. I don't think this is Jesus being harsh. I don't think it's a rebuke or correcting them. It's an acknowledgement that by God's grace, they'd come to believe some things about him. But have you ever noticed this in your life, that your confessional faith isn't always expressed in your functional faith? Welcome to the Christian life. No condemnation in that. That's part of growing as a Christian. We often believe better than we live, don't we? We do. We do. And, and Jesus has to show us that. If he didn't show us that, we would, we would be kind of lulled into sleep thinking that we're better off than we are. We're saved. We're loved. But he allows some trials to come in because he's wanting to grow not just our confessional faith, but our functional faith. And so for our younger people, what, what do I mean by functional faith? I mean, when your heart is broken, you're feeling completely alone, or you just don't know that there's a future for you, or this kind of stuff. Functional faith is that I may, I may not feel like my faith is strong. My faith may feel really weak, but my eyes are on Jesus. I don't need big faith as long as I see a big Savior. The big Savior is the key, not how big my faith is. That's a functional faith. And that's, that's how you see people continue to obey when they're weeping with grief and sorrow. And that doesn't happen overnight. This is a growth process. But that's what he's wanting to do. If he just let us think that our confessional faith was all that we needed and there was never any trial or trouble, we, we would probably drift farther from the Lord than we would care to admit. 
but he didn't allow that. He's, he's wanting to say, I'm gonna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna not only grow your confessional faith, but I wanna grow your functional faith. And so what does he say? Your faith's gonna be tested like you've never known. I mean, guys, this is like maybe two hours later. <laughs> I thought, I, I, for, I forget stuff 30 seconds later, but this is, this is right the same night that he's telling them this. He says, I'm, you're all going to leave me. I know you believe in me. I know. I believe that. But you know what? Your real confidence is in you. There's still, you still rely on yourself a lot. You, you acknowledge there's a, there's a thing between God and you, but you still put a lot of it on yourself. That you think you can do it. You think you can get by. You think you'll be faithful. You think your strength and wisdom is going to be a match for whatever you have to deal with. They're going to fail him. Forsake him and leave him alone. And then this is pretty neat how this kind of works out because Jesus says, but you know what? I'm not alone. My father's with me. And the two of us, actually three of us with the Holy Spirit, we've actually got a plan with this aloneness. Are you ready to start celebrating? There's this plan that Christ alone does. It's Christ alone that can satisfy the righteous wrath of God. It's Christ alone that can crush the serpent's head. It's Christ alone who can fully and finally forgive sin. It is Christ alone who can give us his very own righteousness. It's Christ alone that can give us direct access and relationship with God as our loving Heavenly Father. It's Christ alone that intercedes for us at the Father's right hand. It's Christ alone who will come again to wipe every tear from our eyes and make all things new. He does a lot when he's by himself, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, what a savior, you guys. What a savior. And then he shares that victory with us. <laughs> We're more than conquerors in Christ who loves us. We overcome by the blood of the lamb because of the word of our testimony and not loving our lives even unto death. That's the source of our peace, you guys. Christ has overcome the world. It's the source of our joy. This is the source of our hope. This is the source of our courage and our confidence. This is why we persevere in the battle. This is why we go into all the world with the gospel. This is the foundation of our faith. And this is all because we're perfectly loved by our Heavenly Father. So Christ's victory, let's, let's get this, just in case you need some evidence that Christ can take a horrible failure and make his life fruitful. These 11 rascals, these 11 runaways, turn the world upside down when the Spirit indwelt them through the forgiveness of Christ on the cross. I just, you guys, I don't know. How, I, there's just this burden on my heart. I just feel like there's an army of Christians 
And I sometimes am in that army. Too, I'm too often. I'm so thankful that there are people in my life that I've communicated that this, this ongoing battle with this sense of failure, and there's pride in that. There's just all kinds of stuff that the Lord needs to help me grow in. But I think there's an army of Christians that have backed away from serving the Lord with abandon because you just feel like you failed too badly or you don't want to fail again or you don't want to put yourself out as a target for the world to cancel you. The Father loves you. Christ has overcome the world. Re-enlist in the army of the Lord. Not like you need to get resaved. I'm not saying that. But is this the Lord saying, I'll take care of your broken heart? In fact, you know what? One of the ways I heal broken hearts is by you following me and obeying me. I think sometimes we just think that the Lord's just going to heal my broken heart if I just stay in isolation long enough, like I'm quarantined until I, my heart's healed. I think there's just something about giving. Jesus says, more blessed to give than to receive. There's something about going ahead and giving a cup of water in Jesus' name, ministering again in Jesus' name, forgiving somebody in Jesus' name that God actually uses to heal broken hearts. Not the only way, but it's one of the ways. So this morning, Erica, go ahead and come on up. Let's go ahead and close. This morning, however this landed on you, you, you either you know, you've done some things that you're, you're ashamed of. They were failures. They were failures against God, failures against someone else that, that you had pledged love to or that were responsible for. Or you've been canceled by the world and you were told you were a failure. All of that has probably caused all of those people to kind of back away and still, still kind of follow Jesus. I'm still following you. I'm just not in the front of the line. I'm just kind of back here. You know, almost like that person in school. Sits in the back row, hides behind his book. He's in class. <laughs> He's in class. But he doesn't want to get called on, Right? Oh, you guys, can we just say, stand, <laughs> stand. Can I just pray for us? Heavenly Father, we, we pray a lot of times, we pray, would you pour out your spirit upon us? We're going to ask that again. Would you pour out your spirit upon us? And may the experience be a fresh experience of being loved perfectly by our Heavenly Father because of the price Christ paid for our sins. There's nothing like your, your love, Father, God. It's just, it's just something about, there's something healing that a Father's love does. And Lord, you're the perfect one. God, I, Lord, the, the world is in need other believers are hurting. There's so much ministry to do. So many people that need care and discipleship. And, and Lord, there's, there's just been a lot of wounded soldiers. God, would you use this text and would you write on every heart this morning that we have peace in Christ. And the world will have tribulation. It's not that, that, that there's no more. 
we can be of good courage. I pray, would, you, would, you, would you instill courage? Would you cause someone to this morning to again dare to believe that you love them and dare to believe that Christ has indeed overcome the world, overcome the wrath of God, overcome the sin of the world, overcome Satan, overcome temptation, overcome famine and nakedness and peril and distress and sword. He's overcome all things in the world so that he can give that victory to us. God, please, would you give people faith to believe these things this morning? Would you heal broken hearts? Would you call people to realize my life's not defined by my failure. My life's defined by my faithful Savior yes. who's conquered the world. Oh, Eric, let's sing. <laughs>